You're listening to Church at the Oaks podcast, where we exist to send disciple makers of Jesus by being disciple makers of Jesus. For more information about our church, such as service times, upcoming events, or how to join a group, please visit us at churchattheoaks.com. Kids. Yeah, amen. Um, this is time we dismiss our kids uh, to own time worship, so if you guys are heading out, you guys can... Uh, Head out to the back. Can we, uh, can we celebrate the fact that we got some kids heading out to the back? Can you tell them how much you believe in them? Yeah. There's a bunch of them today. That's awesome. Um, and I'm so thankful for Coleman leading us in a time just to pray for our city, for our campus, and for the nations. Um, and it's, it's cool that we're, we're starting to get to pray for people groups that some of us have, have been in. You know what I'm saying? Um, that's different. Uh, it's also interesting, you know, we, we just we just saying about the mightiness, the strength of the Lord. And I'm standing over there, you know, just, just singing along with you all, which, by the way, like, one of the most fun things about my job is I get to stand over here and I get to hear you. Um, and you don't get to hear you. You just hear them. But, like, I hear you. I can't hear them. And, man, like, you meant some stuff today, uh, which is uh, special. And so we're singing about the strength and the might of the Lord. Um, and I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about this text. And, and I, th- I think there's something interesting, especially before you come to know the Lord, and even when you do know him, um, that sometimes that the, the strength and the might of the Lord, uh, when you think about it in one sense, it's incredibly comforting. Right? You think about it in another sense, you begin to wonder what he's going to wield that strength and that might for. And there's always this question that slips up into all of our hearts, whether you're a Christian in the room or not, we're like, is that strength and might going to be wielded like for us, like for me, or against me? I start to wonder, like, is there going to come a point here where God begins to, 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 shift, like, to shift that power, that might against me? Is he, actually, is he really for me like he says he is? The passage we have uh, this morning is... Um, is a, is a, well, it's not just one passage. It's like two books of the Bible. Uh, it's, it's, this is a lot. Um, this is one of those, those Sundays I came to a lot of fear and trembling. Like, I, I, I don't know how to convey all of this um, adequately. I just need the Spirit to do that for me. Uh, but this is, when we, we get here, this is, this, is the, this is the low point of the entire Old Testament. Right? This, is, this is rock bottom. You know, you, we all know people who have those rock bottom kind of stories, you know, where they're telling the stuff. You, you meet people with the rock bottom kind of stories, and the story just gets worse and gets worse and gets worse. And you're like, how could it get worse? Then it gets worse again, right? We know people with those kind of stories. Some of you have had your own little mini versions of that. Some of you have had the full rock bottom experience where there seems to be no hope. And those stories, as they go, there's, there's usually, there's, there's stories of this slow progression of sin. There's bad decision that follows bad decision. They never intended to end up where they're going to be. You never intended to end up where you went either. But there was a progression there, progression of sin. And there's usually there's warnings. There's periodic warnings from people around us and stuff. There's like, hey, this, this seems like you're going down a path here. Maybe those warnings aren't heeded until eventually uh, it hits. Everything falls apart. And the consequence for like our decisions, the consequence for those, you know, rock bottom kind of folks, you know, like the consequence for that willful progression um, is severe. 
Now, you may have never hit absolute, you know, zero in your life, but you've seen cycles like that where a little bit of something led to something else and, and you, ended up, you ended up on a slide in a direction that you never intended to go. If you're in the room and you're a Christian already, there was, there's probably been seasons even in your walk in Christ where you've like slid away from him in ways that you never meant to. And you got, you got to see like the consequence of that, the distance, the darkness in that. Those of you who are in the room and aren't a Christian yet, and I know that you're, you may be here, somebody invited you, you're trying to figure this whole thing out. Like there's, there's probably been seasons in your life where you've just seen this illustrated, where bad decision after bad decision, right, moves people further and further away from where joy is found, where there's hope. Just moves them into the darkness, never where they intended to go. As we get to this, this point in the, um, our series, we're in this series called The Whole Story. We're covering the whole thrust of the Bible from beginning to end. And we're about at the halfway point. Next, next week is technically the halfway point, but today's week 20 of 42. All right? And we've covered a lot of the Old Testament. And we get to this point, the singular lowest point in all of the Old Testament. It's rough. It, it's, not a, uh, uh, it's not a fun time in history. It's not a ton, fun time in, like, the, for the people. Like, it's, not, it's, it's not even a short one. There's just a lot of misery and darkness in this. But it's been an incredibly long time coming. So just a disclaimer on this one, like we're going to cover a lot. There's a lot of history you need to understand. There's a, I'm like, we're, we're covering hundreds of years of what was happening. And like, we're, there's a lot that we're going to cover, okay? And the, but the principles that we're going to see in this are incredibly practical, incre- impre- incredibly applicable to me and you. Now, we're not going to run hundreds of years of history. None of us are going to last that long. But we see this play out in this microcosm of our own lives over and over again. So we're going to read a lot of scripture. And my hope, I was, I was praying this earlier, like, I'm like, God, like, by your spirit, as we were just reading these long passages that we're going to read, I'm just praying for the spirit to speak to you in ways that, like, I, I can't. Like, the, when we're walking through this, when we're reading the text, that is the most important part. Not what I have to say about it, all right? Like, you're not, you're not, you don't need to be here to hear what Britain has to say. You need to be here to hear what the, the word has to say to you. And so we're going to read a lot of it. And so when we're reading, I want you to just like, I just want to give you a little coaching here. Like, invest yourself in that. Lean into that. Sometimes when somebody starts reading scripture, and and when I'm in rooms like this, I can feel my mind checking out and waiting for them to just tell me what it means. Don't do that. All right? Don't do that. Highlight some stuff. Have a pen out. Have your thumb out. Whatever. Like, do some work so you can engage. Write some stuff down. Or we're going to, I mean, because I'm not going to be able to get this done for you. Okay? So... Bring your best, especially when we're reading the texts. Okay? All right, cool. Let me give you a summary of the events that lead up to the point that then we're going to walk through. All right? So here's the summary. So God made a covenant with Abraham way back in Genesis to make him into a great nation. We've talked about this repeatedly over those 20 weeks. And the promise was that through him, like through that family that he was going to build, all the nations of the earth were going to be blessed, even the people group that we just prayed for. All right? Israel, um, the nation of Israel, came about and ended up, you know, flourishing in Egypt in a time when they should have been wiped out by by famine. And a new Pharaoh arose. They didn't know who they like. Didn't know the backstory there. And the people of Israel ended up in slavery in Egypt for four hundred years. But then God sent Moses to lead his people out of captivity. God rescued them. He freed them. He promised them a place. I'm going to give you a home of your own. They didn't trust him in it. 
So they ended up wandering the desert for 40 years, waiting to try it again. Finally, Israel enters the promised land, following Joshua, the leader after Moses. They finally got to enter this place that they had been promised. After Joshua, there weren't like kings or anything. God was supposed to be their king, and there were these judges to kind of guide and rescue, but Israel ultimately demanded a king. They wanted to be a nation like everybody else. They didn't want to be different. They wanted to look like everybody else. They demanded a king, and God gave them the kind of king that they wanted. They got this guy named Saul. Did not have God's heart, but he was really pretty. (laughs) Uh, And that counts for something, you know? So we get him out of the way, and God installs a king after his own heart. And gets to reflect the kind of king that Jesus would be in our lives. His name is David. And David, for the most part, led people with the heart of God. And God makes a covenant with David that one from his line, Jesus, would rule on the throne forever. David um, dies and his son Solomon becomes king. And Solomon starts out really well, but pretty soon Solomon gets into this, this season of ease where everything just seems like it's clicking. He's got more money, more wisdom, more everything than anybody else had ever had. And, and Solomon, in that opulence, begins to drift from God. and starts to worship these false gods, these idols um, that from the na- were from the nations around him. And the whole nation of Israel begins to follow him in that. His son, Rehoboam, takes over and uh, doesn't have the wisdom of Solomon. He tries to just exert this really unjust control over the people. And what happens is he splits the kingdom of Israel into north and south. The north is continuing to be called Israel. The south is just called Judah. It's just centered around uh, Jerusalem. I've got a map for you, I think. We've got a map. Beep. All right, so we get split, right? So you got Israel in the top, and you got Judah in the bottom, all right? So uh, pretty soon, the north starts adopting worship of all those gods that were from the nations around them, too. Baal, others, like everything just gets worse and worse. God sends prophets like Elisha and then Elisha to confront the northern kingdom and call them back to God, but they persist in this worship of these false gods. Things get so bad that, that, that the north actually starts to work with Syria to like attack the south, to attack Judah, their own people. And so on the second map, you see like God uses the huge kingdom of Assyria to come and conquer Syria and the northern kingdom of Israel and take them into exile. So most of the people of Israel, the command layer, most of them in the Assyrian exile, they're, they're gone. Like that land is empty. They put some people back in there and repopulate with some different tribes, like different people groups and stuff. But like, you would think that would be the low point. You would think that would be rock bottom. You would think that Judah, just like a few miles south of them, would see what happens when you forsake the Lord and like willfully walk away from him, right? And they're like, okay, we ain't going to do that. We need to get some things straight. We need to make sure that what happened to them doesn't happen to us. We want to draw near the Lord. That doesn't happen. And that's where we pick up the story this week. So I want to walk you through it. I want to give you the overview, and then we're going to dig into all these passages that help make this make sense. So on the third map, Israel, the north, is, they're enslaved, they're exiled, only Judah remains. But they continue to slide from the Lord. They don't heed the warning. So the Lord sends prophets, Jeremiah, chief among them, to call them, to confront them, but they continue to persist in sin. So on the fourth map, 100 years, just 100 years after Assyria conquers Israel, God uses the new superpower, Babylon to come and attack and ultimately conquer Judah. 
There's three separate rounds of this that ends in the full and complete exile of all of the people of God from the land that he had promised them. Judas kept ignoring the Lord. It kept ignoring the warnings that justice follows. Like God's a just and righteous God. He's not just going to just ignore all this. There's going to come consequence. And he's sending warning after warning and by call for people to return to him over and over and over again. Over hundreds of years, he stays that wrath until Jerusalem is finally and completely destroyed in 587 BC. It's map five. They're gone. They burn the temple, they burn the rest of the city to the ground, they take all the people away into slavery. And just imagine with me for a moment that day, like, that, like God had made this grand promise and it seems that everything is coming together, that there's this, this, this culmination, this be like we've arrived, like God is, God is on the throne, like, like this is as good as it can get. And slowly, quickly, slowly in some ways, quick in some other ways, like there's, there's this progression of sin towards these false idols that ends up in the utter and complete destruction of the people of God. How does that happen? It has a story of like brokenness and sin and like idolatry and all that stuff, but it's, it's a picture of God's response to idolatry and sin. But like you've got to get somewhere in there. Like how does this kind of thing happen? People who are supposed to know who God is, people who are supposed to know his law, they've got it with them, right? And instead they end up in this. How does that happen for people like us? Who have access to the word, who have like people around us that, are trying to be holding us up, have like a biblical community around. Like how do, for those of us in the room who are Christians, how, does, how do we slide like that from him? So quickly. You look across your nation, you look across your, your families, you see the way that this plays out. This isn't just a story of Israel. The principle plays out in my life over and over again as well. It's, hard, it's a story that's kind of hard to grasp. And it's hard to apply. So, the author of 2 Kings, he, he's, it's a whole book of history, but he stops right there in the middle in, in 2 Kings 17. I want you to turn there. In 2 Kings 17, he stops and he explains why. Right? He's just explaining what for the whole book, but there's this one chunk right here in the middle where he's like, all right, this is why. This is why this happens. That's incredibly important for me and you. If we want to learn from these people and not be these people, then we need to understand why this happened to them and what we can take from that. So go to 2 Kings chapter 7. I know it's on the screen, but I know you zone out when it's on the screen. All right? So remember, the passages are the most important part. This is not short. Okay? If you've got paper, get a pen. Like underline keywords, like, you know, if you get you your, you know, your phone or whatever, highlight some pieces of this that you're like, ooh, I need to think on that. Ooh, I need to ask about that in tribe this week. All right? Here we go. 2 Kings 7, 17, beginning in verse 7. Describing the story I just told you. It says, and this occurred because... This occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And they feared other gods. And they walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel and the customs that the kings of Israel had practiced. 
And the people of Israel, they did this stuff secretly at first, right? Secretly against the Lord, their God, things that were not right. But then you start seeing it not be so secret. It says they started building for themselves high places in all their towns, from Watchtower to Fortified City. They set up for themselves pillars and a shirim on every high hill and under every green tree. They made offerings on all the high places as the nations did, whom the Lord carried away before them. They did wicked things, provoking the Lord to anger. They served idols of which the Lord had said, you shall not do this. Just pause for a second there. You ever find yourself serving some kind of, serving something the Lord's obviously called you not to? Did you find yourself chasing after it? That's the same thing. I know you don't have an Asherim pole, all right? But you got something. All right. I, I want to stop and talk more. We can't. All right, we got to keep going. Um, verse 12. They, they served the idols of which the Lord has said that you shall not do this. Yet the Lord, he warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer. He's warning him. He's calling, saying, turn from your evil ways. Keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers. And then I sent, I sent to you by my servants and prophets. But they would not listen. But they were stubborn, as their fathers had been, who did not believe in the Lord their God. They despised his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and the warnings that he gave them. They went after false gods, false idols, and became false. They followed the nations that were around them, concerning whom the Lord had commanded them and they, that they should not do like them. They abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God. Made for themselves metal images of two calves, made an Asherah, and worshiped the host of heaven, and served Baal. Think about, how, think about this. And they burned their sons and daughters as offerings. How do you get there? You know what I'm saying? How do you get that far? Burned their sons and daughters as offerings. Used divination and omens and sold themselves to do evil inside of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Therefore, the Lord was angry. The Lord was very angry with Israel and removed him out of his sight. And none was left but the tribe of Judah only. But then Judah also did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God. They walked in the customs that Israel had introduced. So the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel and afflicted them and gave them into the hands of plunderers until they'd cast them out of his sight. That's rough. That sounds like rock bottom, Right? It is. This is the lowest point in, in all of the Old Testament. It doesn't get worse than this, where sin had this progressive effect. They wanted to be like everybody else around them. They didn't want to be different. They didn't want to be God's people. They wanted to be normal people. And it just like as, as, as sin set in, what started as a secret began to not be so secret until they're publicly like burning kids. And God's like, I, enough's enough, you know. I think with me and you, it's important to remember that sin is progressive, both individually and collectively. That when we start to separate ourselves from what God's called us to do, when we start stubbornly like sitting against statutes, commands, like, okay, I know his word says this, but, but my culture says this, 
And that feels right to me. That feels like that's actually better. Um, so I'm going to think that the word's wrong on that point, and I'm going to go with them instead of what he said. It's progressive. What starts is like a small little piece of like, you know what, I know what God has, God's word has to say about this, but I'm not going to follow that. I, I, I'm just not. I mean, you know, I just want to live my life right now or whatever. Like, I'm just having a good time right now. I'll get that straight later. Right? There's a progressive nature to that. It doesn't stop with that one thing, right? It didn't stop with what's done in secret, right? It kept going and going. And when then there's this like frog in a pot kind of thing happening. Like, well, we've made it that far. I mean, what's one more step? It's also interesting that when, when sin progresses, it has this effect on us. How you can, you, we heard it there where as sin grows, it, it has this effect where it it starts to stop up our ears to the Lord. Where it, it, there's this like hardness of heart that happens in us where we're no longer responsive. We're no, we don't want to hear from him. We want to hide from him in our sin because we know there's a lot of shame built up around us. And so we start separating ourselves from him. He didn't move, but he feels far away. If you're here this morning and he feels far away, he didn't move. There's been some probably, likely, almost 100% certain that there's been some sin that's been happening in your life that's building up some walls between you and him and you've been stepping back. If he feels far away, he didn't move. As loving and merciful as God is, is he's also holy. He's also just. He's also glorious. And he's clear that there are consequences for us abandoning that glory, that holiness, that justness of him, and just choosing something false to put on his throne. There's consequences for that. When, when we trample on his name and his glory, when we, when we exchange the truth of God for a lie, when we turn our backs on him in pride and put ourselves above him, when we choose to follow the people around us or the culture around us instead of him and make them our little false god, there's consequence for that. When we choose our idols that have different names, idols of power and prestige and sex and comfort and just like opulent, when we choose those idols to chase after first and foremost, there's consequence for that. Now listen, like God... God warned, he cautioned, he called to his people. He sent prophet after prophet after prophet saying, what are you doing? Do you not know? Like, there's consequence here. Like, why are you still going that way? Stop, turn, come back. God's repeatedly saying, like, goodness and hope and mercy are, like, all found in me. Why are you chasing them? Why are you going the way that you're going when everything that you need is in him? What are you doing? And his grace, you read this story, you see opportunity after opportunity given to the people to turn and repent, but these people refused. And my prayer for me and you as we read this, as we continue to walk through this, is that like, we see that their refusal to repent, to turn, to come back to the Lord, to like, find everything they need in him, to persist in sin. We see that in them. I'm praying that you decide not to be that person this morning. Not to persist in sin, not to keep pressing into the direction that you're going, but to stop and turn and come home. Christians in the room with sin built around you, stop and turn and come home. Those in the room who aren't Christians yet, you've been going your whole life your own way. And there's probably some destruction in the rearview mirror there. 
the invitation you're going to continue to see is this call to stop and turn and come home. People of Judah see all this play out firsthand with their brothers and sisters to the north, just like we've all seen it play out with people around us. But it wasn't enough. They didn't turn. They didn't repent. That progression of sin just kept on rolling. By the way, just for free, I failed to mention this earlier. But like, by the way, like this isn't just recorded in the Bible. This is a recording of events from like 2,500 years ago that all just kind of sounded like a myth. And then we dug up these 45 stone tablets called the Babylonian Chronicles. Uh, and we didn't know how to translate them until like 70, 80 years ago. And you know what it told? That. So that's funny. Uh, just trying to throw in some stuff every once in a while for you so you can trust your Bible. They're like, ah, oh, this isn't real. Oh, shoot. <laughs> totally real. Got to trust your Bible. Oh, yeah, that's them. <laughs> Found it. Right? I don't want to read. I just want to, I just want to read the, the account of what happened when Jerusalem fell. It's heartbreaking. All right. And I remember the prayer is that we decide not to be these people. Okay. Go to 2 Kings 25. Go to 2 Kings chapter 25. I'm going to give you time because, again, I want you looking at it, touching it. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, by the way, there's some Bibles back there in those little tables in the back. You can keep those. Like, if you don't have a Bible, if you have a Bible, like, don't, you know, whatever. But, like, if you, have, if you don't have a Bible, like, take that, write your name in it. It's yours. Merry Christmas. That's what they're there for, okay? Um, 2 Kings 25. I don't hear flipping anymore. So in verse 1, it says this. It says... In the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, and the tenth day of the month, that's very specific, by the way, I can trust your Bible, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came with all his army against Jerusalem, and he laid siege to it. And they built siege works all around it. So the city was besieged till the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. On the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then a breach was made in the city, and all the men of war, they fled by night by the way of the gate between the two walls by the king's garden. The Chaldeans were all around the city. And they went in the direction of Arabah, but the army of the Chaldeans pursued the kings and overtook them in the plains of Jericho. And all his army was scattered from him. Then they captured the king and they brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah and they passed sentence on him. They slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. They put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains and took him into Babylon. In the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, that was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, uh, Nebuzardan, that one's tough for me, the captain of the bodyguard, a servant of the king of Babylon, he came to Jerusalem and he burned the house of the Lord and the king's house all the houses of Jerusalem, every great house he burned down. And all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of guard broke down the walls around Jerusalem and the rest of the people who were left in the city and the deserters who had deserted the king of Babylon together with the rest of the multitude they took and carried into exile. The captain of the guard left some of the poorest of the land as to be vine, vine dressers and plowmen. 
If you were here a few weeks ago when we talked about the, the, uh, like the founding, the grand opening of the temple, it was this point in history where like they had the, they had the tabernacle and it was the, we talked about the tabernacle where like the presence of God like was finally like sort of with the people and, but it wasn't permanently placed and they built this incredible temple and it took a lifetime to build and then they like commissioned this thing like open the, you know, this is grand opening day for the temple, right? And the glory of the Lord like descends on this thing and it's like it's so thick, so palatable, like the cloud of the glory of the Lord that like people couldn't even go inside of it. He just like packed it out because the temple was this hot spot of the presence of God among his people and it was just just like sounded like as good as it could possibly get. God's presence among his people once again was just burned to the ground. Do you remember the celebrations in the street, the sacrifices that they were making? They were so close, like so excited about God being near to them. How did they get here? Ezekiel prophesied this in Ezekiel 10 also prophesied that God's presence would leave his people. In Ezekiel 10, 18, it says, the glory of the Lord went out from the threshold of the house, stood over the cherubim. The cherubim lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth before my eyes as they went out. The presence of God flew away. How did they get here? Idol worse than the temple, child sacrifice, temple destroyed, everybody's enslaved, like looking around you, like at the destruction of their choices. Just imagine being there that day, dismayed. How did this happen? Have you ever found yourself in that kind of spot? In those, how did I get here kind of places? When you look up and you look around, you remember how things used to be, if you're a Christian, how things used to be with you and the Lord, and you're like, how did I get here? Where God feels like almost like a distant enemy or something. Like, I'm like, I'm hiding from him. How did I get here? Some of you are in some version of that this morning. Now, some of you in the room, you're, you're not Christians yet. And, and this does sound familiar, this progression, like things falling apart, like consequences for bad decisions, all that, 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 that sounds familiar. But maybe you're where Israel was very early in the story. Maybe you're not at like rock bottom or something. I don't think most of us in the room are, right? That would be pretty bleak. But you're Israel a little bit earlier in the story, doing, kind of just doing what you want. You know, like when, when they started going after their own ways and chasing all these other things, like it didn't seem like there was any consequence to that, right? Everything just kind of seemed okay. The nation was flourishing. There was more money than they'd ever like, thought of, right? Like Solomon had more wealth than anybody and they were doing some secret like, you know, stuff. There's no consequence for that. Everything's incredible right now. They're living their best life. And so when, the, when everything seems to be going well, but you're still going your own way, right? When those, and there's, there seems to be no consequences. And these warnings like this one this morning fall very flat because you're like, I'm doing whatever I want, chasing what I want, I'm crushing it, and everything is great, bro. Like, what are you talking <laughs> Okay. That wasn't the end of the story. That was the beginning. I want you to think prayerfully about the end of your story. Because there's a holy and just God who is the righteous judge of the world. 
and has promised like his, in his steadfast love and mercy to extend grace and extend mercy like as, as long as you, you will turn and come home. But if we choose not to, if we choose like these people to persist in our sin, to continue to ignore him, just like shut our ears against him and continue to press into the way that we want to go, putting him in the background, there is heartbreakingly consequence. And I don't want you to be that guy. I don't want that to be your story. And the Lord doesn't either. So he sent his son to come get between you and the wrath that you had earned. All of the, all of the consequence for all of your sin. He sent his son, Jesus, to come like get between you and what you deserved. Jesus has already died on the cross in your place. And if you will trust him, all of the wrath that you have earned paid for by Jesus, gets counted to you as righteousness. He's already paid for it. So the way out for them was to listen and obey. The way out for you and for me is to stop going our own way, turn around, trust in Jesus and follow him. That's how we're saved. These people weren't. Now, some of you in the room are, are, are Christians already, and sin has been creeping in. You've already trusted Jesus as your Savior, but there's, you're in a rough spot. You're in a rough season, and some stuff's been going on in you that you don't want nobody to know about. Maybe you're still in the secret phase. Maybe you're in the phase that comes after the secret phase with stuff you were doing in secret, now you're doing in public. There's progression that's happening, right? Like, wherever you are in that, one thing has led to another, and you're not really sure how you got where you are. Can you feel that distance between you and the Lord growing? Where once he felt so close. Almost like you could just reach out and touch him, you know? Do you wonder what God's heart towards you is this morning? Because in these passages, it sounds like ultimately he just wants to crush you. If you're not reading carefully. Do you wonder what his heart is for you? For those of you in the room who aren't Christians yet, you've been going your own your, on your own way your whole life. Do you wonder what his heart is towards you? Like, is he done? Is he get like frustrated enough? He's like, forget them, I'm out, right? Christian is in the room, like you already know Jesus. It's almost worse, right? Like you know the truth and you're still chasing all that stuff. What is his heart towards you? Go to Jeremiah 25. Sorry, I'm making you flip around a lot. I apologize. Jeremiah 25. Just waiting for the page, the sound of pages to stop. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Jeremiah 25. This is what Jeremiah spoke to the people. In verse 3, it says, For 23 years, the 13th year of Josiah the son of Ammon, king of Judah, this day the word of the Lord has come to me. And I've spoken persistently to you, but you have not listened. You've neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear. Although the Lord persistently sent to you all his servants and prophets saying, turn now. If you've got a paper Bible and a pen, like you need to underline turn now. Like this is the message, turn now. Every one of you from his evil ways and evil deeds and dwell upon the land the Lord has given to you and your fathers of old and forever. 
Do not go after other gods to serve and worship them or provoke me to anger with the works of your hands. I'll do you harm. But his hope is not to crush people. The plea, the, the request is like, turn now. Turn now. Not tomorrow. Not in a different season of life. Now. And they would not listen. Flip over to Jeremiah 29 and verse 10. You get to see like the heart of the Lord. Like is, is he intent on destroying? Is he going to use that might and that strength to crush? And that's like his goal or something to, you know, punish the bad people. Is that what God is after here? Is he trying to, to get you? Let's find out. Jeremiah 29, verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, talking to the people that just got exiled, I'll visit you. I'll fulfill to you my promise. I'll bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord's plans for, underline this, welfare and not for evil. God's plans for you, for them, for us, are for welfare, not for evil. He is not trying to crush you. He's trying to restore you from the beginning to give you a hope, a future, and a hope. That's his heart. Because then you'll call upon me, and you'll come and pray to me, and I'll hear you. Verse 13, like talking about people that are distant from the Lord, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. It's like, I want to be found by you. Just seek me, just draw, like draw near. That's James 4, right? They can, <laughs> you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I'll be found by you. He's not running from you. He wants to be found by you. I'll be found by you, declares the Lord. I'll restore your fortunes, gather you from the nations and places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. I'll bring you back. To the place from which I sent you into exile. Folks, listen, God's plans for them and for you are for good. His plans have always been to restore a people to himself, to restore people like you to himself, out of the distance, out of the exile to which you sent yourself, to bring you home. He is not far off. He is not done with you. He is not given up. I don't care what your backstory is. Because it's not as worse as, it's not, it's not as bad as yours. Look at verse, thing, verse 13 right there. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. You know that passage says to me? That passage says to me about like me finding the Lord, me drawing near to the Lord, me getting to walk with experience, like the goodness and the joy and the hope and the peace and the love and the mercy of the Lord is dependent upon if I just, if I will seek him or not. And if I can simplify a really complicated passage and passages and story and whole thing, if I can just simplify this, like, is he worth seeking to you? Or will you to continue to seek your own way? And I just want to set before you, like Jer Prophet Jeremiah says, in another place, I want to set before you life or death. Like, there is a consequence, there is repercussions for either of those choices. Do you want to seek him? Do you want to move towards him? Or do you want to continue to keep those idols on the throne? There are only two choices here. It's not complicated. Who's your king? Who are you going to trust in? Whose life are you going to live? Like, Who do you want? Remember, this is all long before Jesus came. 500 years before Jesus came. 
In other places, Jeremiah, he continues to, his like, promises, like saying that God is going to send one, one day who is going to permanently fix all that's been shattered and broken. One's going to come to rule on the throne of day. One's going to come that if you'll just trust him, you'll be saved. That one is the person of Jesus who knows your sin, who knows your distance, knows all your shame, knows what's done in secret and in public, knows the whole story, knows stuff you ain't even done yet, and loved you enough to come down across in your place. For us, it's a lot more simple than it was for these people back then. Jesus has come. He's fulfilled all the law. He's lived a perfect life that me and you couldn't pull off. He gave that life as a sacrifice for us and then offered himself as a gift to save us as a gift, which is just received by faith. To pull all of that down, we're saved by grace through faith. Do you want to be saved? Or do you want to continue your own way? Jesus died so that you could draw near. So if you're not a Christian yet, Standing at a distance, Jesus died so that you could draw near. He's not trying to crush you. Will you draw near this morning? Will you put your faith and trust in Jesus? And some of you have been wrestling with that for a long time, and you've been in tribe and in Bible studies and stuff trying to figure out, like, do I want to trust this Jesus? Can I believe this? This morning, like, will you trust? Will you trust him? In faith, will you accept the gift that Jesus died on the cross to give you? If you're, if you're a Christian in the room already, and you're standing far off. <laughs> um, Jesus has already done everything that needs to be done. He's not done with you. He's not given up on you. So right there in your own heart, right there where you sit, I just want to invite you to pray a prayer of repentance. Stop going in the way that you're going. Like turn and come back to your king. There's a point of response for all of us in the room. Our band's going to come. They're going to lead us in a time of response. But there's a point of response for all of us, and it's just one of two options, man. Like, do you want to follow him or not? Are you going to go your own way? Because there's consequence to that. There is. I mean, we see it. Like, and there's God in his mercy, like, stays his hand. But ultimately, there's consequences. Eternity separated from God. I pray that we wouldn't be those people who stubbornly choose that path like these people did. Or will you choose Jesus? Put your faith and your hope and your trust in him and follow him. If you're a Christian already, will you like, draw near to him again? Will you set down that stuff, confess that sin, and draw near to Jesus right there where you sit this morning? Our band's going to sing a, a song of response and lead us in that time. And our Next Steps team, our prayer team, is going to be back there in the back. They're there to talk with you about this or anything else for that matter. But you got people like standing there wanting to talk with you about this. There's, if, if you have questions, there's people ready right now. If the Lord's laying a response on your heart, you've set these two things before you, life and death, right? My prayer for you is that you would choose to respond and choose life in Christ. Not all of the mess you've been chasing. So I pray that we collectively would be people who do what Israel and Judah was invited to do time and time again, just to be honest before the Lord, to confess sin and draw near to the God who loves them perfectly. Would you do that this morning? Whatever, whatever place you are, would you do that this morning? 
set down that sin, confess that sin, and draw near to the God who loves you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to stand. That's going to be your time to respond. If you want to go talk to somebody in the back, go talk to them. If you want to talk to a friend who's sitting next to you, go grab them, walk out. You just need to say where you're seated. Just confess sin, deal with the Lord. You do that, all right? Let me pray for you. Let's respond. God, in your word, we see just the, just the hard truth that uh, all of us, all of us go our own way. We continually put idols on the throne, on your throne. So God, this morning, my, my prayer, our prayer, is that we would just, that we would draw near, that we would turn, that we would set down some things that we've been chasing over and above you, and that we would seek you and find you as we seek you with all our heart. So for my friends in the room who aren't Christians yet, God, I pray that they would seek you and find you as they seek you with all their heart. I pray that they talk to a friend or somebody in the back. Talk to you. I trust you as Savior, Lord, this morning. I pray for my friends in the room who are Christians that feel like that distance between you and them is just insurmountable this morning. God, I pray that they would seek you and find you as they seek you with all their heart right now. So God, move us to response. We love you. It's your son's day of prayer. Amen. If you respond how you need to, why don't you stand? If you need to stay seated, you need to do that. If you need to find somebody, find them. Next Steps is open for you. Let's worship. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. For more sermons like this, you can give us a follow at Spotify or Apple Music. If you want more information about our church, you can check us out at churchattheoaks.com. Church, you are sent.